have some stage hands who are going to be helping me here get set up. But while they do, um, I just want to personally add my invitation to the announcement about Tuesday night, this fellowship service that we're having with Christ Kingdom Ministry Center. Church, I don't have to tell you that we live in incredibly divided times. And Pastor Jamar Mike, who is a friend of, of many of us, many of you know him personally, but he reached out to me this week and said, I think it's important that we do this service together. I think the timing is right. And I think that is the case. Now, I want to prepare you when we get together that on that Tuesday, Christ's kingdom, they're like overflowing their building. They have a, they're sharing a building with another church, and a long time ago, they outgrew that space, but it's what God has given them for now. But they have purchased another piece of property, and they are uh, collecting the funds to renovate that piece of property. And we're going to take an offering. Pastor Mike and I talked about this. Uh, we're going to take an offering to support that effort for them. So I just want to prepare you, if you come on Tuesday night, come ready to worship, fellowship, but I'd also ask you to come ready to give in whatever amount God puts on your heart to support what God is doing in our brothers and sisters. So love what the kingdom is doing in Aliquippa, and they're a part of it, even as we are a part of it, so I want to support them in that. Also, I just want to let you know, um, you know, if you are visiting with us today, um, I would love to be able to meet you personally, and so right after service in the Crestmont Cafe, which is just on the other side of this back wall. We have a, a short class, 20 minutes, called Crestmont 101. It'll introduce you to our church. If you want to join the Crestmont Church family, we have a 101, 102, and 103 class. You can attend them in any order, and you'll see them show up in rotation. So today is 101. I'd love to meet with you on the other side of that wall, and we won't keep you longer than 20 minutes. All right, today you can turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 14, where we're going to be reading a story about Jesus at a banquet. We've said before that when Jesus teaches, he's really just teaching about one thing over and over again, but he teaches about it in different ways and different aspects of it. What he's teaching about is the kingdom of God. This is the central theme of Jesus's ministry, both his acts and his teaching, both his verbal communication and his demonstration in power, have to do with the kingdom of God. So the question always with Jesus' teaching is, what is Jesus teaching us about the kingdom? Which is another way of saying, what does it look like when God is ruling? What does it look like when God sets what's wrong right in the world? What does it look like when what is chaos in the world is brought back into order? Under the, relation, under the rulership of God. So that's what we're looking at today. And Jesus uses a banquet table. He's at a party in this passage. And he uses a banquet table um, as an illustration of what the kingdom of God is like. And in particular, Jesus is letting us know what social relationships look like in the kingdom. What social relationships look like under the rulership of God. If God is ruling, this is what we would expect relationships to look like. And more specifically, Jesus is answering this question, why is it that sometimes even God's people fail to love? Why is it that sometimes even the people who are closest to the things of God, who sing about the love of God, sometimes fail to love themselves? It's a good question, and we're going to let Jesus answer that today. So, 
I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, as we often do together in honor of God's word. And I'm going to read out of Luke 14, beginning in verse 1. It will be on the screen behind me as well. You can follow along. We're going to read a pretty good chunk until verse 24. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. You can be seated. I'm going to get set up here while I begin to talk, but this story is in the setting of Jesus healing on the Sabbath which is something that Jesus does from time to time in the Gospels. And each time it's controversial. The main reason is because Sabbath observance was a hallmark of Jewish religious life. Um, to observe the Sabbath, and not only what Scripture said, which was not to work on the Sabbath, but, uh, oh, I may need some help with this. <laughs> Thank you. By the way, my wife isn't here today. I brought a wrinkly tablecloth. She'd be mortified if she knew this was the one I chose, but it's what I did. Um, so Sabbath observance was a hallmark of Jewish religious life. More than just religious observance even, it was also a feature of like nationalistic pride. 
You know, this is something we do to, in opposition to the Roman Empire to show that we are good Jews. And Jesus heals on the Sabbath, which is interesting because he didn't have to do that. I mean, Jesus healed a lot, but he didn't need to heal on the Sabbath, which brings up the question for me, why did Jesus choose to do it that way? I mean, every time he chooses to do this, it causes controversy. Every time he chooses to heal on the Sabbath, people get angry at him. What I'm suggesting is Jesus knows beforehand that it's going to be offensive, and he does it anyway. Um, there's something interesting in that that I think we need to pay attention to, especially in the divided times in which we live. It's okay. We live in a time in which there's a lot of division and a lot of calls to protest different things. And I don't know, if you've been on Facebook, you probably are tired of Facebook. You're probably off of Facebook by the end of this week um, because we're living in these really controversial times. Listen, each protest has its own character. Each one is aimed at different things. And some probably align more with Christian values and some less. But I just want to say, this isn't what I'm preaching on today, but I just want to encourage you in this, that Jesus could have healed on a different day than the Sabbath, but he chose to anyway. Why? Because he wanted to reveal what was broken, in this case, in the religious system. He did it purposefully to provoke controversy. Now, in the many controversies that are in our culture today, I'm not telling you what to think about all of those different controversies, but here's what I am encouraging you to do, to think. And not just to think, but to think biblically. I think it would be a really interesting question to say, what is a right way and a wrong way to provoke the system, especially on behalf of those who are hurting? Now, my guess is, in a room this size, there's probably a lot of different opinions on that, and that's okay. But if our picture of Jesus leaves no room for provocation, then we're probably not being honest with who our Jesus really is. But that's not what I'm preaching about today. Listen, Jesus heals on the Sabbath, and he does it purposefully because he wants to show that this religious system is broken, there is a man who is sick in their midst. And somehow, even though this man is right in the middle of God's people, somehow it has become controversial to help him, which is why no one does it except for Jesus who reaches out and heals him. When Jesus does, he asks them, so is what I'm doing right or wrong? They've already had controversies with Jesus at this point. One is in Luke chapter 13, just the chapter previous to this. They've already had controversies with Jesus on this issue, and so this time they just remain silent. They don't know what to say about it. They just stay quiet. And Jesus goes into this discourse. It's interesting. Jesus is the guest at this banquet, but he immediately takes the position of host. He's in charge of the conversation. Now, that might seem arrogant, except this is actually who Jesus is. Jesus is king. In whatever environment he steps into, Jesus is king. So he takes charge of the conversation, and he gives us three different pictures about what relationships look like in the kingdom. But you need to understand that all of these pictures 
are in the context of him healing on the Sabbath. Jesus is trying to get to this issue. Why is it that this religious system is not able to connect love to this hurting person? It's a lesson in priorities that Jesus is getting at. See, Jesus is making this bold statement about the kingdom that whatever gets in the way of the kingdom-loving people isn't of the kingdom, right? So if we're forced to choose between our programs as a church and loving people, you choose loving people. If we're forced to choose between our traditions and loving people, you choose loving people. If we're forced to choose between our comfort and loving people, you choose loving people. This is what Jesus is trying to get through, this very simple point. And to do it, he uses the banquet table that he's sitting at, and he says, listen, this table is what the kingdom is like. And he gives us three heart issues. Listen, when you know, you know how the human heart works. There's these arteries that pump blood right into the human heart, and then the heart takes it and pumps that blood out right into our bodies. And when one of those arteries gets plugged, what happens? It's a heart attack, right? Well, the kingdom is giving all of this love. It's pouring out all of this love onto the earth. And it ought to be the people of God, right, who have this love flowing into them, going out into the world. And Jesus is saying there's some kind of blockage here because there's this needy, hurting person right in your midst, and somehow you don't have love for them. Jesus is saying, you are having a heart attack of religion. And it's true, friends, that when God's love flows into us and something blocks it and that love doesn't get out into the world, it is true that communities of faith will die. It is a heart attack because God didn't create us to be that way. So Jesus points out three blockages that get in the way because every time there's a behavior issue, you've heard us say this before at our church, Every time there's a behavior issue, it's really a heart issue. And when Jesus teaches to these behavior issues, he goes deeper to the issues of the heart. And that's what he's getting at here in this passage. So, three heart issues, we'll say, in three courses. Very clever. It's very clever today. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. All right, first of all, Jesus tells this uh, story, this parable, about guests who have been invited to a banquet and they want the seat of honor. Now, we have a little bit of this in our culture, but not too much. In Jesus' day, it was a really big deal. In our culture, it might be the head of the table, you know, that has the place of honor. Probably most of us don't regularly dine in environments that are that formal, but you've probably been in environments where that was the case, where the head seat is what is most important. Jesus is saying, and he has observed this behavior in the banquet that he was at, that there was a desire for people to get close to the person who was hosting the banquet, to the person who was seating, seating uh, in the place of honor, sitting in the place of honor, because it made them feel more important. Now, why do people want to do that? Why? If the important person is sitting here, why is this seat better than that seat or this seat? Why is it that Jesus was seeing people clamor so that they could be close to the person who is at the front? Well, I think one of the reasons, at least, is we have this innate need, and I would say 
It's a God-given need to be honored, to be noticed, to be remembered, that for someone to tell us, you know, that we are valuable and that we mean something because we very often doubt that in our own minds. And so we want to know. And what that creates is this thing in life where we work really hard to say the right things, to be friends with the right people, to accomplish the right things so that people notice us or we just do this. It's easier than ever. Post it, right? We try to do these things to fill this need that says, I need to be noticed. I need to be important. Now, this is a block to love because what it means is that in our relationships, when there's an opportunity to love someone, and listen, an empty seat next to the person who's most important is an opportunity to love someone. Our lives are filled with opportunities like this, right? Our money is an opportunity to love someone. Um, the way that we use our time is an opportunity to love someone. All of these things are empty seats, right? But if we are intent on getting our own need to be notice-filled, it means we'll just take a seat. We'll fill it ourselves and tell other people that they can go sit somewhere else. It's a block to love. But friends, here's what the kingdom of God does. The kingdom of God, just because of the love of God, and the kingdom is his love, God rules in love, the kingdom of God says you are valuable. The kingdom of God says you are worth something. The kingdom of God says you are noticed, and not just by a person, but you are noticed by the king of heaven. And what that means is then when there's empty seats, it's less important that we're the ones that fill it. And see, this is how a community begins to build on mission because we start to say, look, I've already been noticed, and not by you, but by God. And so it doesn't matter if I have this seat. I can have this one, or this one, or this one. And you know what that does? It creates room at the table for people who need to be noticed, for people who need to be loved. Jesus tells this second story. The second story has to do with who we invite to our banquets or to our parties. What I have here are invitations. They say invitation because I'm really creative. <laughs> and I'm going to think about who I want to invite to my party. Um, hmm, Mom, here. <laughs> Love you, Mom. Um, you know what? I've known my mom for a long time. <laughs> um, I've also known Michael for a long time. He was my youth leader back in the day. He's old enough to have been my youth leader. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, I know him really well. Hmm, let's see here. I'm very picky. I only have three invitations. Oh, you know what? John and I, we go way back. Um, we met when we were 18 years old, and he was on my freshman dorm, college 3A. Um, so there we go. My invitation list is complete. I invited some of the people in this room who know me the best, some of the people who have the most history with me in this room. Some of you I don't even know. I didn't invite you today. I just invited the people who are closest to me. 
Now, listen, there's something natural about this, isn't there? There's a natural tendency for us to get around the people that we are most familiar with. And that's not all bad. Jesus had long-standing relationships, right, with his disciples. He ministered to the crowds, but there were these 12 that he was with day in and day out for three years. So Jesus here isn't saying that it's wrong to have close friends and we have to be equally friends with everybody. He's not saying that. Here's what he's saying. There's a tendency in relationships, maybe particularly in the close ones, to begin to use relationships as transactional power. See, relationships, rather than just being free expressions of my love to you, become this thing, Jesus says, where I invest in the same relationships over and over and over again. Why? Because I know they will repay me. How do I know they'll repay me? Well, they'll repay me in affection. They'll repay me in love. We begin to leverage relationships, not as a tool of love, but as a way to surround ourselves with the security and the belonging that our hearts crave, because this is also a need that we have, to know that we belong, to know that we have a place. It's very easy to say, you know what, I'm just going to invest in the same relationships over and over and over again, because if I do that, each time it's a payment, it's a payment, it's a payment, they will repay me, it will make me feel secure, it will make me feel loved. I invite them to my house, they will invite me to their house, and there's this false motivation that gets wrapped up in our relationships. And here's the problem with that. The problem is if we are trying to get our needs for belonging and acceptance met in our relationships, it means we will go only to the most predictable people in our lives to get that need filled while we ignore others who we're not sure if they can repay. And this is the issue that Jesus has. And so what he says is, look, this is what the kingdom of God does. The kingdom of God makes you an insider, friends. Do you hear me? Some of you have an identity written over your life as outsider. And you need to hear this. It doesn't matter how many invitations you get to people's homes. It doesn't matter if you didn't get invited into that circle of friends. Listen to me. If you're with Jesus, you belong. You need to hear that this morning. If you're with Jesus, you belong. See, he has made a seat for you at the table. You don't have to question it. See, we're always trying to get seats at other people's tables. But Jesus is saying, you have a seat at my table. You have a place with me. And see, when we start to realize this, it means that I don't have to use all of my relational capital just with the people who make me feel secure and belonging. So John, Mom, Michael, I love you guys, but those invitations aren't even real. I'm not even having a party. <laughs> all right. I'm so glad that they love me, but all of my relational capital doesn't need to go to the same places, right? I can take a risk to say, I'm going to love this person even if I'm not sure if I'm going to get anything back. Isn't that cool? The third thing, Jesus says the invitations have gone out for the party. He's invited people to the kingdom. Jesus is describing the day and age in which we live where the invitation of God is open to anybody who will come. And yet, 
Jesus is saying that this is a reality that sometimes the invitation goes out, but it's not met with the kind of enthusiasm that you might expect. Instead, people have other priorities. They decide to do other things. And in the examples that Jesus gives, he mainly talks about uh, financial priorities and relational priorities. None of these things, buying oxen or a field or getting married, none of these things are wrong. But in the story that Jesus tells, they are competing priorities with the invitation of receiving God's love. We've been saying it all morning, but friends, do you know what the kingdom of God is about? It's about God's love for you. The kingdom of God is is about his love for you. And if there are competing priorities that make us seek other things, even good things, other than this kingdom, it means that we have not fully understood what the kingdom of God is about. We have not fully understood the love of this God who is pursuing us. And this means that we miss out on the banquet. We miss out on participating in what God is doing. But God is so intent, friends, at getting people to the party. This is what the kingdom is about. This is what Jesus' mission was about. He's so intent on getting people to the party that he says, this table will be filled. Because it'll be filled. And if people pass it up, well, that's on them. He says, but I'm going to fill it up. He fills up these chairs, and then he says, we're going to put even more around the table. There's more room. There's more room. Go out and find more. This is what the master says, because this banquet has to be full. You know, the master is intent on it. He's not going to let anyone miss out who he wants here, even if we reject the invitation of his love. Okay. Here's what I want you to see. Why didn't this man receive love from all these religious folks at this party? Well, it's because the arteries of their faith had been clogged by false attitudes. And what were those attitudes? Those attitudes at their core were that they had not themselves received the love of God which means they had nothing to give. See, why don't sometimes people get love, even by Christians? Well, it's because of this. Sometimes it's because we are so intent on getting our needs to be noticed, met, that we take relationships and conversations, these empty seats, as opportunities to honor ourselves instead of to honor others. Sometimes we're so intent on getting our needs for belonging met that we just go to the people that we think can provide that the most for us, our friends and our closest uh, relationships, and so we don't invite other people to the table. Sometimes we just don't value or believe in or whatever the love of God, and so we allow competing priorities to come into the picture, and so we don't receive the invitation that God is extending to us So we're not able to extend that invitation to other people. You see, the blockage always has to do with our lack of ability to receive the love of God for ourselves. Anthony, if you could come. But listen, the opposite is true. The opposite is true that if we can allow Jesus, who loves us infinitely, we can allow Jesus to meet our deepest needs to be noticed, 
be remembered. And friends, he loves you that much. See, if we can allow that to happen, well, then we have room in our lives to honor other people. See, if we can allow Jesus to meet our deepest needs to belong, it means that we can stop this frenzied chase to find people who will actually accept us. Don't you want that to end? Church, don't you want that to end? To stop allowing relationships to be this transactional thing that we leverage to get our own needs met. And if we will just receive the expectation, the invitation that God is giving us, it means that we'll have capacity to invite other people. The way you get on mission is by accepting God's mission of love to you. See, this picture that Jesus creates of a banquet is a picture that we find again in the book of Revelation. Um, theologically, we would say it this way, that this banquet table that Jesus says is like the kingdom is an eschatological picture. What that means is this is how things are going to look like in the end. And Jesus is saying, in the end, it's those who honor others that will be honored. He says, in the end, it's those who invite people who can't repay them who will get rewarded. In the end, it's those who receive the invitation of God's love who will be part of the kingdom. All of that is another way to say that the people who will sit around the banquet table at the end of things are those who have received the love of God. That's all it means, friends. It just means that the people that God will, that God will surround himself with for all of eternity, very simply, they're not perfect people. They're not the people who had it all together. They're not the people who figured it all out. You know who they are? They're the people who just received his love, just received it. So God is extending an invitation to me, and so I receive it. You see, when we start to realize that God's love is really the beginning and middle and end of everything, it changes, friends, the way we do relationships. It really changes the way that we relate to one another. Eventually, we begin to realize that every time I get agitated at someone, the deficit is really in me. That every time I get angry or bitter, the deficit is really in me. You know, as a pastor over the years, I've had the opportunity, you know, to, to be involved in marriages, and very often, I get it, I'm not being judgmental, people want to immediately talk to me about everything that is wrong with their spouse, right? I know I'm supposed to serve them, but pastor, you don't know the deficit, the depravity, you know, that is there. No, you know what? You don't realize your own deficit. And the deficit is a deficit of love. And it's what God wants to fill. You see, when our needs for belonging, our needs to be noticed, our needs to be included, get met by Jesus at his banquet table, our capacity expounds, grows, so that we can include people that we otherwise wouldn't have included. See, my limitations of love have to do not with the circumstances that surround me. It has to do 
with the ways I've been limited in receiving the love of Jesus for my life. Friends, he loves you. And listen, I I want our community to be a community where there's more room at the table, don't you? I want to be a community where invitations are given to people who would least expect it. But the only way we will ever be that is by being a community that is richly dwelling in the love of God for us. That is what will expand our capacity to do it for other people. And here's the beautiful thing as I close. And Steve, if you could come up. Here's the beautiful thing as I close. Jesus was dishonored so that you could be honored at the table. Jesus was excluded so that you could be included. And when you couldn't pay, you could never pay for a seat at this table. Jesus paid. He bought your banquet ticket and he did it with his love. So you have a place, friends. You have a place.